1: And welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and today we're looking a little bit more closely, as we did um, last week, uh, at the treatment of those considered to be enemy or deviant classes in the Soviet Union uh, during the late 1920s into the mid-1930s. Um, we're looking again at Sheila Fitzpatrick and everyday Stalinism, and here she talks about the concept of class warfare, during the, uh, Soviet, during the Stalinist period. And it was often um, Soviet communists, the, the Stalinists in question, that believed themselves to be the endangered, uh, the endangered group, uh, the people who were most likely to be done away with come some uh, uh, blood-soaked counter-revolution. Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, In the late 1920s, Soviet communists believed themselves to be under attack from resurgent class enemies, and I think the resurgent bit there is key. The old bourgeoisie, the new NEP bourgeoisie, kulaks, and even the bourgeois intelligentsia. Now, in the last podcast I did on this subject, I talked about how the uh, old classes, the former people, the former czarist uh, aristocracy who'd survived the revolution, um, the uh, former um, Tsarist government ministers and officials, um, the uh, Orthodox priesthood, um, how they had survived into uh, and uh, maintained a low profile in Stalinist Russia, and how their existence constantly fueled the sense uh, among um, Stalin uh, and his um, uh, lie- lieutenants, his commissars, that the business of the revolution was undone, uh, was not finished, it was not complete. And that there needed to be some kind of uh, cleaning up operation, some kind of um, attempt to catch those who had slipped through the net because they were a constant threat. Now, from um, what Sheila Fitzpatrick says, is that the old bourgeoisie, put it, the new NEP bourgeoisie, the people who had been made wealthy through the NEP, the um, the net men, the black marketeers, the, the kind of the smugglers and the spivs, that they were now um, having not been eliminated um, since the establishment of the NEP, um, and the question of the NEP having been uh, left open following the um, death of Lenin in 1924, and finally answered with um, the. Uh, reintroduction of massive state controls in 1928 uh, as a result of the ascendancy of Stalin um, these uh, enemy classes were had been created by the unfortunate compromises of the NEP as it was seen by um, the Stalinists and now must be uh, dealt with along with the Kulaks who had um, developed in uh, economic strength throughout the 1930s All these um, new enemy classes were the results of the revolution not having been done quite right. The first, the the old bourgeoisie having not been got rid of in 1917, and these two new, the NEP bourgeoisie and the kulaks, being the um, result of the imperfect missteps of Lenin and the unfortunate compromises that had to be made throughout the crisis of the Civil War era. Just for for clarity, for those who aren't familiar with Soviet history, perhaps I should say, the NEP was the New Economic Policy. The New Economic Policy had replaced the era of war communism, which was the uh, totalitarian um, and largely counterproductive um, attempt to control the economy in order to win the civil war, uh, which resulted in uh, the the first Soviet famine of 1918 to 21. So referring to these fears that the party had about um, class enemies and about being under attack from class uh, enemies, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, to all appearances, however, this was the opposite of the truth. It was the party that had gone on the attack against class enemies, just as it had done during the Civil War. NEP men were being forced out of business, Kulaks were accused of hoarding grain, forbidden to join collective farms, and finally marked for liquidation as a class, which meant expropriation, eviction, and often deportation and imprisonment in labour camps. At the same time, the church was under attack, with large numbers of priests under arrest and churches closed down. The intelligentsia was in trouble too, harassed by militants of the Cultural Revolution and liable to be accused of disloyalty and even treason. All this meant hard times for anyone bearing the stigma of bad social origins. During the Soviet elections of 1929, conducted under the slogan of class war, more people were deprived of the vote than ever before. In 1929 and 1930, government officers were purged uh, to remove the disenfranchised and other social aliens. This process often involved humiliating public cross-examination. A sympathetic reporter described how a taxation official stood up to this. A small, clean-shaven old man who was educated in a respectable general's family and in the Tsarist Ministry of Finances, he holds himself on the Tribune with dignity. Twelve years of the October Revolution changed this man very little. Today, from the Tribune, he makes his statement about his understanding of the purge. If I am not needed... If I don't suit, tell me and I will go. But why throw dirt on me? So this uh, process of public humiliation, of uh, denouncement, of um, the forcing out of uh, enemy classes, this is a a kind of a a tiny stirring of the, uh, the great terror that would eventually come what tended to happen is those who had been um, denounced and deprived of their jobs, their homes and their social standing would be revisited during the period of the terror because there would be a record of them. The terror is an immensely bureaucratic process and being able to have uh, names already in the system uh, is extremely important. The families of those who were denounced or who were seen to have bad social origins were also targeted. Children were expelled from schools. Um, the novelist uh, Mikhail Aprishvin uh, wrote in his diary that there was even a class approach to the dying. In the hospital, they are throwing out three patients who have been found to be disenfranchised. The disenfranchised persons found it difficult to get or hold jobs. When rationing was introduced, they were ineligible for ration cards, and so they have to buy food at commercial prices, so they don't receive the kinds of state subsidies that favoured workers do. Um, The rationale behind that was that if you penalise the bourgeoisie, if you penalise people with bad class uh, origins, and you were sympathetic to those with supposedly good class origins, then there would be some kind of, hopefully, some kind of atonement, some kind of transformation in the the, the bad types of people. Um, And at least with the the people with good class origins, they would understand that the revolution was uh, theirs and was designed to work for them. Obviously, um, this doesn't really manifest itself in anything other than kind of like state-led, um, food-based, uh, resource-based sadism. Um, the In 1929, um, the telephone service um, in Moscow to the non-toiling elements uh, was cut off. Um, It was basically uh, argued that the telephone system was overburdened, that it was at breaking point and that those that worked deserved telephone privileges uh, and should have telephone privileges because they were important members of society and those that did not, the uh, speculators, the uh, exploiters. Not that anybody is in any position to do any speculating or exploiting at all because most private property has ceased to exist. Uh, certainly most private capital and private businesses after 1928 don't uh, don't exist. So this was uh, a way of appealing to a working class support base uh, in um, persecuting those who had been uh, formerly of the wrong kinds of social class in um, the autumn of that year the Moscow Soviet began to throw out non-toilers from their municipally owned apartments, Um, though even party members believed that this was uh, illegal. So what had happened over the previous decade is that uh, privately owned property, privately owned apartments, had become crammed with workers, uh, crammed with working-class families, and people who had often owned or uh, lived in spacious apartments found themselves living uh, in uh, now perhaps one room of their own home while the rest of the house was shared by large numbers of of strangers, many of whom had eyes on expanding the the space that they inhabited or forcing out the original owners of the the house altogether. And in 1929 this became uh, possible because of people having bad class backgrounds uh, being uh, evicted from their uh, their homes. So Sheila Fitzpatrick writes The drive against class enemies seems to have had more solid support in the lower ranks of the party than the leadership. The head of the Soviet government, Alexei Rykov, uh, and other Politburo members, soon to be ousted as rightists, had serious doubts, as did Mikhail Kalinin, the former head, head of state. Avil Ekon- Enikidze, um, another highly placed government official, who was known for his generosity as a patron to former people, was outraged, as were leading education officials in Russia and Ukraine. And Lenin's widow, Nadezhda Krupskaya. I always find it particularly interesting when you begin to look into the internal uh, politics of totalitarian regimes and find that far from uh, the entire regime singing from the, the same hymn sheet, far from there being a consensus... When it comes to repressive policies, there are all sorts of different views from the sadistic through to the relatively um, uh, magnanimous. There are um, those who, uh, by and large, uh, agree with the spirit of the repression but see it as being unnecessary or perhaps a misstep. And there are those who believe that the revolution was about certain things but surely not about others.
0: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and
1: 365-day returns. And it presents to us totalitarian regimes, not as these great monoliths, but these kind of complicated messes, these complicated human messes that are um, more common among um, the the kinds of things that people create uh, than um, the sort of the, the monoliths of our imaginations. The tide of party opinion was generally against people like Nadezhda Krupskaya um, and uh, Kalinin and Rykov. Um, the overall, the treatment of the uh, former bourgeois classes uh, was seen as being entirely justified uh, by the uh, more uh, lower members of the uh, of the party rank and file. These were by and large. Uh, first-generation working-class Bolshevik members who had tended to join the party uh, in uh, 1917-1918 during the revolution and the early period of of the Civil War. Um, A letter uh, on the plight of priests that was sent by Kalinin to uh, Sergo Orjanakidze, um, complaining uh, about the local authorities and that they were and their tendency to behave with complete arbitrariness towards priests um, spelt out how the uh, priesthood and other people whose rights had been disenfranchised um, were being ignored. The letter said all the efforts of local authorities are directed towards de-kulakising ministers of religion, along with kulaks. This illegal de is conducted under the guise of taxation. They try to tax ministers of religion in every possible way, and in such amounts that they cannot fulfil the demands made on them, and then all their property is confiscated, even necessities for the family, and, for the, f- uh, and the family is evicted. Clerics and members of the fa- of their family have been drafted to work at logging enterprises, regardless of sex, age, or health. Sometimes this harassment of members of the clergy literally becomes mockery. For example, there have been cases in Barnall District, where ministers of religion were conscripted to clean pigsties, stables, and toilets. Um, obviously this was a, a kind of a militantly atheistic uh, regime, uh, but. At certain lower levels of the um, uh, of government, particularly at, at local levels, there was more than an element of a personal enjoyment of the humiliation of the of the priesthood. There were members of uh, the of local Soviet governments who seemed to take um, a distinct pleasure in forcing priests who they by and large viewed as liars and hypocrites, to clean stables. It's interesting, if you read Orlando Fijia's uh, Russia A People's Tragedy, when he discusses the the nature of peasant society in Russia prior to the revolution, um, despite the fact that you have many millions of devoutly orthodox Russian peasants, the priesthood themselves are often seen as liars and swindlers or interferers in peasant life. So the propensity for priests to be treated badly or to be treated in a kind of a cruel or sadistic way after the revolution was prevalent, not just because of the party, perhaps not even because of the nature of local government, but perhaps because of the reputation that the priesthood actually had uh, amongst the ranks of the poor. When Stalin, for example, was written to by uh, um That letter described the uh, situation of the disenfranchised as utterly desperate, um, forbidden to work, uh, refused rations, and their children expelled from school. Um, and in the countryside, peasants often refused to shelter people with poor class origins at their uh, inns and um, hotels and hostels, um there the fact that letters like this are being written to stalin again tells us something interesting about stalin himself stalin did receive um vast amounts of correspondence that were not necessarily uh to his to his liking to his interest and some of it he listened to stalin is a a kind of a curious mercurial changeable character who historians have often found it hard to pin down—a ruthless sadist, a manipulator, and an opportunist, of course. But sometimes a figure who would make exceptions for some individuals that, or that he particularly liked, uh, particular novelists, writers, and artists that he thought were, uh, were were worthwhile. There were those who he was certain. Um, it was unnecessary to to persecute. He, there are moments where he backtracks in certain policies. There are moments where he uh, accelerates. Um, he is a, a, a like a highly changeable uh, character. Protests also flooded into the office of uh, Kalinin. Um, for example, in the first two months of 1930, 17,000 complaints of unjust deprivation of voting rights were received from the citizens just of the Russian Republic. Um, In the corresponding months of 1926, there'd been 500. Most of these complaints focused on the disenfranchisement um, itself, um, as opposed to other penalties that came after it, such as eviction from apartments, um, expulsion from trade unions, and education institutions. So, again, this tells us something very curious about the Stalinist regime, that you could write to the head of state to complain. It is worth pointing out that this is 1930. It's not the height of the Great Terror in 1937, where people certainly wouldn't be writing those kinds of letters. Um, the uh, letters were read and they were archived. How much good came to the writers of those letters is a, a kind of like a very debatable area. But the point is that people felt it was possible to write them without extreme fear of consequences, that um, they were um, writing uh, not because they viewed themselves as class traitors who, uh, or subversives, who they needed clemency from the state from, but because they generally believed that they were none of these things and they viewed themselves as loyal Soviet citizens who were being treated unfairly. A secret government decree in the August of 1930 um, argued that people who had been disenfranchised um, or had been removed from their jobs in recent purges should not receive any kind of an employment benefit. Um, they should not be able to register at, at the Labour Exchange, which was the Soviet equivalent of the Job Centre, um, along with everybody else. And it said they should be sent to timber camps, peat works, shoveling snow and other jobs. And moreover, only in places... Uh, that are experiencing an acute shortage of labour. When education ministries in Russia and Ukraine um, forbid any sort of social purging of schools, they were just ignored. Schools went ahead and did it anyway. Why? Because it was part of um, a way of the schools demonstrating their uh, commitment to revolutionary ideas, which in their mind rested... Um, higher, rested above um, day-to-day policy compromises. Um, It was a way of demonstrating kind of ideological and social zeal. Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, One local Soviet, emboldened undoubtedly by the active support of the local party organisation and the tacit support of the central committee, even wrote back to the centre describing how beneficial it had been to expel 86 high school students, almost half of whom had disenfranchised parents, and explaining why he proposed to disobey the Russian government's instructions to the contrary. They are all sons of big hereditary kulaks, and some of their parents have been sent to Solovki. that meant uh, Sol- the Solovetsky island um, a gulag. In the great majority of cases, these Kulak's sons were instigators in stirring up nationalism, spreading various kinds of pornography and disorganizing study. All these 38 persons hid their social position while they were in school, registering themselves falsely as poor peasants, middle peasants, and some even as agricultural labourers. At the same time, children of workers, poor peasants, and agricultural labourers could not get into school because they were no free places. The population is extremely pleased with what we have done. And there you have, again, some really interesting power dynamics referring to the population being extremely pleased with what we have done. There's an element of kind of a populist playing to the gallery there. And there's also an element of um, trying to interpret what it is the uh, the spirit of the revolutionary moment kind of is Ignoring what some stuffy bureaucrat uh, in the uh, the state government says, and looking to uh, the, the the national Soviet government, and trying to get a sense of what it is that national Soviet government is really saying, what the you know what subtext they are tacitly hinting at is okay and acceptable and permissible in the treatment of others. Okay, we're gonna finish now in a moment. Uh, But um, I'm really fascinated by this kind of journey through class dynamics in the uh, Stalinist era uh, and looking at at class-based persecution. And next in this series, we're going to move on to the question of uh, deportation and exile. We get closer and closer to examining uh, life in the Soviet camps. Anyway, thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast.